Please remain standing as you are able for the reading of God's word. The text in, for this morning is Psalm 46. I will be reading in Polish and the English translation will be on the screen as I read. Kierownikowi chóru synów Koracha na melodię alam od pieśń. Bóg jest dla nas ucieczką i mocą. Łatwo znaleźć u Niego pomoc w trudnościach. Przedo się nie boimy, choćby waliła się ziemia i góry zapadały w otchłań morza. Niech wody się burzą i kipią. Niech góry się chwieją pod Jego naporem. Pan zastępów jest z nami. Bóg Jakuba jest dla nas obroną. Od nogi rzeki rozweselają miasto Boże, uświęcony przybytek Najwyższego. Bóg jest w Jego wnętrzu, więc się nie zachwieje. Bóg mu pomoże o brzasku poranka. Zaszemrały narody, wzburzyły się królestwa. Głos Jego zagrzmiał, rozpłynęła się ziemia. Pan zastępów jest z nami. Bóg Jakuba jest dla nas obroną. Przyjdźcie, Zobaczcie dzieła Pana, dzieło zdumiewające, które dokonuje na ziemi. On uśmierza wojnę aż po krańce ziemi. On kruszy łuki, łamie włócznie, tarcze pali w ogniu. Zatrzymajcie się i we mnie uznajcie Boga wzniosłego wśród narodów, wzniosłego na ziemi. Pan zastępów jest z nami. Bóg Jakuba jest na nas obroną. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Brian. If I haven't met you, I'm the, one of the pastors here at Trinity City Church. Uh, one, a couple things to note. One, uh, we have a lot of flex, folks coming back from the uh, cabin, so we're going to have to squeeze in a little bit this Sunday. So if you're kind of sitting towards the edges and there's room in the middle of your pews, go ahead and squeeze in. Uh, right now, as you're seeing, the uh, kids through second grade are being dismissed for uh, Children's Church. Reminder to pick them up right before, right after you take communion. One of the things they're learning uh, over the next several weeks uh, during their curriculum, is they're learning a little bit about idolatry. Uh, the New City Catechism is a tool that we use at, at Trinity to learn about the faith and ask this question, what is idolatry? And it says, quote, idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator. And they're learning about stories in the the Old Testament uh, about that, about God's people doing that, and also one of the ways to combat idolatry, which comes from Deuteronomy 6.5, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So as a way to participate in what they're learning, let's go ahead and say that verse again together. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Uh, if you're new this morning, too, you might be wondering why we had a scripture reading in a different language, and that's a small way in our liturgy uh, every once in a while that we do something like that in a different language to remind ourselves the global nature of the Christian faith. Uh, today, we start a new sermon series, and uh, it's uh, subtly based on this mug. If you've never seen this mug before, sometimes I have it up here, and it says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Uh, so hopefully I'll remember to keep using this mug. So the sermon series for the next several weeks is called Out of Context, and we are looking at common verses 
that are taken out of context by God's people. And the goal really isn't to shame anybody. I mean, there's some verses here, including the one that we're going to look at today from Psalm 46, where uh, even myself, like, I need a reminder, this is what the verse means, and this is how I sometimes intuitively understand it, but within context, it means something different. Uh, I have uh, some slides here that will show you some of the verses that we'll be considering over the next couple weeks. Uh, they should be coming up here shortly. Uh, Jeremiah would be another example of that. I know the plans I have for you. Matthew 7, judge not, lest you be judged. We have some more on the next slide here. Matthew 18, for where two or three are gathered in my name. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name. This is a teaching on prayer. Romans 8, 28, all things work for the good for those who love him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we just got out of 1 Corinthians, but I'm actually looking forward to going back to this verse because I wasn't able to unpack it that much. Uh, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And there's Philippians 4, 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's a good verse for athletes, as I understand it. You get that one tattooed right before the game, right on your shoulder. And then the last one will be Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, and there may be one or two more that we uh, include in there, but a lot of this is based on uh, feedback from you. I asked you verses that are on your radar that you'd like us to talk about. And it was a little bit difficult because there were some verses that you gave that would be good verses to give a message on, but I had to delineate between verses that are commonly taken out of context from verses that are just really difficult verses, even when you understand the context. So some of the verses uh, that you guys were thinking about, like this would be great for the sermon series, I didn't include mainly because they're just difficult verses, and that's why they're sometimes misunderstood. These verses, by and large, can be understood fairly clearly if you understand them within the context. And so that's the sermon series for the next several weeks. So before we dive into Psalm 46, uh, specifically we're looking at the verse uh, that says, be still and know that I am God. That's the verse that, uh, specifically we're keying in on. Before we dive into that, let's go ahead and pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for your sons and daughters you have adopted in your son, Jesus Christ, and have called here by your spirit to gather with one another, this family of God, this household of faith, because we have faith in the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we are here. And even those that may be here and they don't have faith in that yet, Lord, they're here because they're leaning into that message and they're curious about that message. So, Lord, now through the power of your Spirit and Psalm 46, help us, Lord, to see your word and to hear it and to have it penetrate our souls and transform our life, Lord, and see all of Scripture in light of this glorious gospel for the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm a pastor, but one of the things I've often struggled with throughout my Christian life is the practice of quiet times. I remember when I first got introduced to that term, uh, I grew up in more of a mainline Christian church, so when I found myself in more evangelical circles, they talked about quiet times and how it was a good discipline to have as a uh, Christian person, and I wasn't so sure what they meant. I was very skeptical of this idea of quiet times. 
I, I was a little bit of a fussy teenager, and so quiet times to me sounded like detention. It sounds like something that you would be punished for. And part of it for me is I'm fairly extroverted, if you know that about me, and so I struggle with being by myself in general. That's something that kind of drains me. And so one of the biggest ways I connect with with the Lord is through the fellowship of God's people and studying God's word with God's people. So being around others. Uh, so much so, I still do this discipline a couple times a year of going off to a retreat for prayer and to kind of ask the Lord what he would have for me for the months ahead. But most of the time that I do this, I do one in the, in the summer, one in the winter, I have to have other people come with me. And so the kind of the discipline is as I do things by myself during the day and study the word and pray, but then in the evening I get to hang out with people and recharge. Well, during the pandemic, uh, there weren't a lot of folks that wanted to be uh, around one another, including going to a uh, personal retreat with me. So I ended up going to a retreat all by myself. And I usually go a couple nights. This time I broke it down to one night because that sounded like, again, uh, detention to go, go off by myself that long. Uh, and I remember this time that I was, I was out on this lake, I was on a paddle boat, and I was spending some time in prayer and reflection. And it was one of those moments that was just like, it was such an obvious truth of scripture, uh, but the Lord really spoke to me in that moment and said, you think you're by yourself, but you're not. You think you're still recharging, it's just with me. And I had that moment in this just calm, lake, quiet space by myself that I was in the presence of the Lord in this just calm and restful place. It was a time to be still and know that the Lord was with me. However, that's the wrong verse for that situation. What I just described there is good theology. Like, we should seek times to be in quiet and in private reflection and prayer. Meditating on God's word and praying in quiet spaces is a good thing. The Lord Jesus, when you read, it in the, read about him in the Gospels, regularly withdrew to, and practiced this time of quiet and being just with his Father. It's good theology and good practice in the Christian life. It's just don't use this verse to describe that theology. Good theology, wrong verse. So how do we understand this verse, be still and know that I am God? So let's look at the verse within the context of Psalm 46 and some other texts in the Old and New Testament and then understand a little bit more of how to apply it appropriately. So let's start in Psalm 46. Look at verse 1. And we'll also read verses 7 and 11 to get the main point of the psalm. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And then 7 and 11 repeats this refrain, The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. So the main point of this psalm is that God is a refuge or a fortress. In other words, he's a place of safety and peace. And we know he's a refuge, he's, we know he's a fortress because he is strong. Because refuge and a uh, place of refuge and a fortress offers protection because of his strength. And, and the Lord has eternal strength. The psalm also says that he's an ever-present help. The refuge is always available. He's always with us. You don't face anything in life alone, this psalm says, because his strength is there, present, and ready to offer protection. And the question may be raised, protection from what? In verse 1, it just says, trouble. But the psalm goes on to describe the type of trouble with vivid imagery. Look at verses 2 through 3 and also a little bit of verse 6. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And then verse 6, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. So this verse, these verses are describing a time of crisis. The earth is shaking, the water's roaring, and the war is raging in the nations. It's a time when the ground underneath you gives way, and things that you used to stand on are no longer reliable in your life. It's falling apart, and things are disappearing. It's a time of restlessness that's being described here. It's like a body of water during a storm and the waves and the winds are just overwhelming and you're just trying to keep your head above this restless scene. But with each passing moment, you're getting increasingly exhausted while you're treading water in life. And finally, you're surrounded by threats on every side. You've seen others fall and crumble underneath these threats and now it's your life that these threats are after and there is no way out. That's the scene that's being described here. You have an army on one side, a roaring, roaring sea behind you, and beneath you, the thing you stand on is giving way. That's the time of trouble, and that type of situation and the feeling that comes up in that situation can apply to so many things that we experience in life. In fact, maybe it's something you're experiencing in life right now in this season. Yet despite this trouble, verse 2 began with, we will not fear. Don't fear. Despite this situation, and at first it's like, really? That's, that's the pep talk? Just don't fear? Don't fear? It reminded me of a, of a, a piece of uh, a clothing and hats that were popular when I was in junior high. It was a brand called No Fear. I went to eBay and found a hat uh, I don't know if any of you remember this, but this is, back in the day, was very popular. I know things in the 90s are coming back for Gen Z. Something to consider. This one's sold out, by the way, so you can't get this particular one. And one of the reasons I know that this was popular, this was a popular hat, is this exact hat I owned in junior high and wore it in school because I had no fear. I was so cool, you guys. I wore this hat during school. But even in that kind of scene, it's just like, okay, this, this brand, it says no fear, it's got the scary eyes on the back and everything, but it's just like, okay, based, based on what? Like, why should you feel that way? Why should you have no fear? Because if somebody just says that to you and doesn't give you a reason why you shouldn't be afraid, it just feels like an empty pep talk. But Psalm 46 is not an empty pep talk. It goes on to say what the source of this command is. Verse 4 through 6 says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. God lifts his voice. The earth melts. So why doesn't the city fall, even though it's surrounded by an army? an army and nations that are in uproar. These nations have destroyed other kingdoms. They are a major threat. But this kingdom and this city does not fall because the text says God's presence and strength is there. Outside of this city, the water is restless, but within the city where the Lord is, there's a river that brings gladness to the city and those being threatened. These nations 
are bringing war and destruction, but they do not stand a chance before God and the Lord who is with us. God just lifts his voice and the earth melts. And what is a fussy army to someone like that? They don't stand a chance. So that's the context of the verse. And now we get to the uh, verse that we are referencing, be still and know that I am God. Now we understand the text and the context a little bit. Let's read more of the verses where that one is contained, verses 8 through 10. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am the Lord. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So verse 8 begins with an invitation. Come and see. Check this out. Look, the Lord is working. And how is he working? The desolations he has brought on the, uh, on the earth. In other words, check out and look at God's judgment. In this text, God confronts evil and wickedness and the threats against God's people with his judgment, and they stand no chance. Conflicts cease, and not just for one nation, but the text says to the ends of the earth. All the instruments of war and wickedness are destroyed, whether they are bow, spear, and shield, or whether they're pride, greed, and oppression. All those things stand no chance in the face of God's strength and presence. And it's within this context we read the words, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So within this context, be still is a command both for God's enemies and God's people. So the command here in this text is not saying, Wait, listen, and take a rest. Rather, it's something more like, Attention! Stop! Close your mouth and open your eyes. Snap out of it. In fact, if you read some other translations, they will translate this phrase as cease striving or stop fighting. That's what be still means. There's another context in Exodus chapter 14 where this phrase comes up. God's people are redeemed in this context from slavery in Egypt, and yet the army of Pharaoh chases after them again, and they're pinned between the sea and a great army. And God's people are rightfully terrified in that situation. They are in the face of trouble. But then Exodus 14, 13 through 14 says this, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Be still. Look what God is about to do. Here, God's people are in front of the sea and, and pinned between the sea and, and this great, great army. But for God's enemies in that moment of being still, those who are refusing to to his grace and are threatening God's people are about to be judged and destroyed. And we know how the story ends. God's people are delivered. 
Salvation comes to them. They cross the sea. The sea is split in two. They could walk on dry land, get to the other side in safety and peace, but then those very waters drown God's mighty, or Pharaoh's mighty army with God's power at work. So that's the situation. When you hear the words, be still, if you're God's enemy, it means something very different than you hear when you are God's people and you hear the same phrase. One of the ways I, I've illustrated it is, is thinking about maybe something more like you're accustomed to, because you probably this week have not been pinned against the sea by a mighty army, all right? But maybe something that you have seen in your life is maybe this happened to you, you've seen it, you're a teacher, you're a mentor, you've seen a situation where there's like a playground bully, right? And the playground bully is doing what a bully does, bullying this other kid, and it's happening again. But in this situation, it's different. Somebody with presence and power and authority steps in and sees the bullying happen, and they shout out, Stop it! Knock it off! Be still! And in that situation, be still means very different things to the bully and also the one who is being bullied. To the bully means punishment is coming. That's enough. The wickedness, the sin that you're doing, it's done. Like it's time for judgment. But for the kid that's being bullied, be still means salvation. Somebody is here that can do something about it. Somebody more powerful than this person I am facing. And something better is about to happen. Rest and peace and salvation. So when you hear be still, that is the sound for God's enemies, the sound of judgment. For God's people, it's the sound of salvation. So be still isn't go find a quiet spot for rest and meditation. Be still is a command within a time of restlessness and trouble when your world is falling apart and you're surrounded by trouble and God says, stop and look what I'm about to do. Behold my glory and my presence and my strength. A similar thing happens in the Gospels, too, with be still and that phrase. In the Gospels, there's a story about Jesus and his disciples getting on a boat and going out into the lake. And then a furious storm comes with violent rain and wind and waves, and the waves are so large that they're going over the boat, and there's this real threat of it sinking because it's filling up with water. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 38, takes it from there. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. So just like the psalm, the water is roaring. Everything around the disciples is restless. The very thing that they have their feet on is sinking into the water. They're absolutely surrounded by trouble on every side. And Jesus gets up and gives the command to the wind and the rain and the sea, not go have a quiet time. He doesn't say that. Be still means stop. Knock it off. Stop striving. Let there be peace. And in Mark 4, 40 through 41, this is how the disciples respond. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
You see, the disciples don't fully realize yet who is with them. They'll realize it more fully once the Lord is crucified, he's dead, and buried. Because even then, even then, sin and death are told, that's enough. And the Lord Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to his disciples, ascends into heaven, and pours out his spirit on his church where he is present with us to this day. And so do we realize who is with us in times of our deepest trouble, deepest restlessness, and suffering? This text says, be still. God's strength and presence is with us. He is our fortress. And many times in our deepest trouble, in our our striving life, we need to stop striving and start seeing who is always there with us, with the power to raise the dead. Now, I want to conclude with this story, and uh, I thought this week, are you really a pastor that's uh, paying attention to current events if you don't give one illustration about Queen Elizabeth? So here we go. I got, I got a story that fit, fit really, really well in this context, so here it is. I heard a story about Queen Elizabeth, who, as many of you know, passed this week, and uh, it's one of the security officers that was often with her, and he tells the story about the queen meeting a couple of Americans during a hike. He was out and about, and they're on the countryside, and they were hiking. And the queen would often take moments like that and encountering other people to greet them, and she did so in this instance. And in this instance, it was clear from the start that the two Americans that were hiking did not recognize who this person was. They didn't know it was the queen. So after the queen greeted them, they went on and on talking about their trip and where are they going and where are they coming from, just talking about themselves like a good American usually does. (laughs) And she patiently listened, and eventually after talking much about themselves, they finally asked the queen, well, where do you live? (laughs) She responds, I live in London, but I have a vacation home right over those hills. So the Americans ask, well, how long have you been coming up here? Well, she says, well, since I was a little girl, say about 80 years I've been coming here. The hikers then say, well, if you've been coming here for 80 years, you probably know the queen. This is a true story. I have no idea who they're talking to. So the queen responds while motioning towards one of her officers, well, I haven't seen the queen, but Richard here sees her regularly. You should ask him about it. So the hikers ask Richard, you've met the queen, what's she like? And Richard has known the queen for a long time. He's been working as her security for a while, and he knows that she can take a joke. So he responds with, well, she can be a bit cranky, but she does have a good sense of humor. (laughs) So the hikers are excited at this point, and they put their arm around Richard, and he's wondering what's going on. And before they know it, they hand a camera to the queen and ask, can you (laughs) take a picture? with this guy who knows the queen. We wanted to tell our friends about it. And Richard, Richard does that, but he says, you should, you should take a picture with her. And then he returns the favor and snaps a picture with the hikers and the queen. And then uh, they go off, and the queen and Richard, the security guard, waves goodbye to them. And then the queen says to Richard, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they show those photographs to their friends in America. <laughs> And hopefully somebody who's looking at those pictures tells them who I am. So this is a true story. Isn't that amazing? Had no idea who this person was that they were talking to, but probably realized it later who was with them. Sometimes we don't realize who is with us, even if it's somebody with immense power and authority. We're often like the disciples who have the Lord with us during a raging storm, but don't understand the power 
that's right in the boat with us. We're often like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who walked and talked with the resurrected Jesus without realizing who it was until much later. So too, we don't know who Jesus, that Jesus is often with us, even in our most dire situations and times of suffering. That's what it's like during times of trouble. The Lord is there. He's an ever-present help in time of need. He is the refuge, the rock, the fortress who is there and has the power to overcome any trouble or redeem it for good. There is no doubt in many of our times of deepest trouble that we feel like we are by ourselves and that there is nobody there, nobody to understand what we're going through, nobody there that has the power or authority or knowledge to do anything that could actually help us out. Maybe not even help us get rid of these things, but just to help us get through this and get to the other side with faith intact. But the reality of the gospel, and it reminds us time and time again that Jesus is always there. His strength is available, and we often struggle to realize who it is that's there right in front of us the whole time. Be still and know that I am a Lord. the Lord is a call for us as God's people to open our eyes and take a minute to look at who is always there, present in our time of need, as a source of safety and refuge because of his power to completely undo all that's seeking to destroy us, or at least to give us the faith to persevere to the other side.